0: Hello, future lawyers, friends, neighbors, and welcome to a special career-based episode of the Elite Law Schooler podcast. In the last week, I've had several requests to make an episode about landing a job during law school, specifically for your 1L and 2L summers. So, for today's show, I have brought you someone who truly knows how to hustle and make things happen. His name is Nick Spetsis. You may know Nick from ABC's hit show, The Bachelorette, or Bachelors in Paradise, but I know him from law school. Nick hustled his way into fantastic legal jobs again and again while we were in school, and he did it through old-fashioned hard work. I don't know anyone who hustled harder during and after law school than Nick did. He was willing to put himself out there, and he's reaping the benefits as we speak. In addition to being a hustler and a hard worker, He's a great guy with a heart of gold. So, without further ado, I bring you a genuine hustler, Mr. Nick Spetsis Esquire. Okay, I have Nick Spetsis here on the line. Nick, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Charles. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, man, I'm so excited. You know, I thought of you because you were, and of course, still are, a genuine hustler. And from our first year law school on, you were able to pull awesome summer jobs out of nowhere, and I know you hustled your butt off to get those jobs. So I think you can help a lot of people, a lot of future lawyers, find a job um, and find a good job for their summer clerkships and their summer internships. You know those one L summers, two L summers, and even during the bar, you were hustling the whole time. You always had a awesome gig, and that was as a result of your work ethic and that's why I brought you on I'm excited to have you
1: well I'm excited to be here and it means a lot coming from you because you know the admiration I hold for you uh, especially in terms of the accomplishments that you've achieved thus far in your life and all through law school so it means a lot to me and I I can't thank you enough for having me on
0: well you're very welcome and thank you it's that positivity that just uh, it's only Nick Betzes can do it so let's talk a little bit about your job hunt experience so I guess we'll start chronologically and start with that 1L summer job because at University of South Carolina, we had to sign a thing that said we would not work during the year uh, in our first year of law school. So everybody was hustling to find a 1L summer gig, and you found an awesome 1L summer gig. And can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I You know, that that's kind of, everyone always says the, the one, your 1L summer is really the uh, is really your your kind of your summer of, of reckoning for you know lack of a better phrase. Um, so for me, I uh, you know I wasn't a, a top ten percent student in law school, so I I always focused you know my energy on making connections um, as well, and and I was I was kind of call it call it luck or what have you in terms of of meeting someone that had a potential connection um but i i knew someone that worked for rider system inc which is a fortune 500 company um and through them i found out that they had a summer uh associate or, or law intern um law department intern position and um it was typically a 3L job so it was uh, it was located at their headquarters in Miami and usually they would take someone going into their 3L year or a person that was perhaps studying for the bar that was a 3L Um, and it was it was a big corporate contract transactional position. Um, For me I got the initial um, introduction via email through my connection. Um, but that was kind of, kind of just, you know, the start of the roller coaster, like just getting into the actual roller coaster cart. Uh, after that, it was uh, it was really, really strenuous to get the job. And, and I think I went through six to eight interviews before they finally came to, to a decision to hire me. Um, but, but the hustle with that, Um, It it was just it was shaking hands, meeting people, talking to people um, and just kind of kind of figuring out, um, you know, whether whether people that you meet, you know, especially if you're looking for that big uh, Fortune 500 company uh, law internship. um, If you if you run into someone that works for a company, you know, a big company like that chances are they do have legal internships in that summer, right? I mean, uh, I'm sure, you know, in the sales department, they have sales internships for, for, um, for college students and such. So, you know, the first thing is just inquiry. Um, once you get to know the person, you know, just inquiring into perhaps they, if they know the chief legal officer or, or no general counsel or whatever it is. Um, but that through the process i think that was kind of the defining moment for me in terms of how i was going to conduct myself and my interviews um for the rest of my time um well for the rest of the interviews i probably will ever have and and it was kind of just showcasing who i am as a person and showing that okay while i might be lack um, while i might have a lot of things against me one being that i'm only a 1l going into into my 2l year and two, not having grades that they might traditionally uh, look for, it was about showcasing how hard and how how hard I work, and how important it is to me to represent their company. And, and you know, hustle is everything, but even more than that is passion. And I think you know, hustle and passion kind of you have you can't have hustle without it. Um. So for me, going going through these six to eight interviews that I did was all about talking about how passionate I am when it comes to working for anyone. You know, I, I've I've always been that person that, you know, you put me I used to work at a vitamin shop and, you know, it, vitamin shop. I, I was <laughs> managing the store at 17 years old, you know, depositing the 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 funds from at the end of the day into the bank at 17 years old. You know, I had a key to the store. So, so for me, it was kind of showing my loyalty to the places that I worked. And and I think that that was the most important thing was to show how genuine and how passionate you are about working. If you don't have that passion for that company, yeah, you know, you can still likely get a job there, but you're really wasting your time. Um, you, you really, if you don't feel passionate, if you don't, if you don't have a burning desire to to be a part of that company or at least see if you, you know, see if that might be a fit, you know, you have no business, you know, no business talking and no business interviewing with any of these people. But but the hustle really came with, with those six to eight interviews and, and I was able to showcase who I was as a person and I was able to showcase how hard of a worker I can be and how how hard of a worker I would be for them.
0: Well, I think that's something good we can talk about there um, is the interview process. So I want to kind of walk these uh, future lawyers, law students through this process of how you got this gig at Ryder. So how did you first of all find out that Ryder had a position open for a summer legal intern?
1: So, again, I had a the connection that I met who uh, he worked in the in the sales um, the sales department yeah, for Ryder. For and I just generally asked, you know, do you guys hire legal interns? And he was unsure at first, um, but directed me to the right person. And then I believe it wasn't even the first person he directed me to, but they directed me to a second person. Um, and then after that, um, I was told that it was a position typically meant for a 3L. However, um, because of the passion that I showed to my connection about you know how hard of a worker I am and 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 how much I really wanted to be a part of the team, they they kind of took a chance to allow me to go through the interview process.
0: Well, let's talk about that. What was the um, so how did the interview process start and what was it like?
1: Okay, so it was obviously since I was in South Carolina and the headquarters was in, or is in Miami? Excuse me. Um, it was it was all through phone calls. So I I forget, but I think the first phone call I had was with one of the general counsel there, um, and then the second phone call had another per, another, but they have a bunch of general counsel. So there, there's, um, you know, the leasing side, sales leasing side of it. Then there's the real estate side of it. And then there, you know, so there's a bunch of different, um, in-house counsel for, for Ryder. So I had phone calls with almost every single one. And then there were, there was a phone call with three people on it one including the uh, chief legal officer, and pretty much you know we talk the the interview process. A lot of the questions are are, are very similar. You know, um, a lot a lot of the questions are you know, <laughs> what are your grades, uh, what's your rank, you know, on and on and on. But where I think that I shine brightest was when it came to talking about what my strengths and my weaknesses are, and My number one tip, when you get that question, is to be honest. Um, But I can, you know, to let everyone in on on what I well, my strength is, and you know, I've said this often in in interviews is uh, is loyalty. You know, for me, I think the word loyalty encompasses more than one term or phrase. You know, it, it you have to to be loyal, you have to be passionate. To be loyal, you have to have integrity. To be loyal, you have to be honest. So I, I kind of go through, you know, how important loyalty is to me, not only in work life, but also personal life. And I, I think that, that I think that, you know, often when you talk to, you know, employers, especially Fortune five hundred companies or, or huge, huge firms, they're looking through resumes of people that look exactly the same on paper. You know, everyone, everyone's going to have decent grades. Everyone's going to have this or that. Um, But I think once, I think how you really separate yourself in an interview, especially when, when there are, when you're dealing with employers that have such high volume and capacity when, in terms of, uh, in terms of resumes in front of them, you really have to separate yourself in the interview process by talking about what, characteristics of yourself is going to set you apart from, from, you know, Sally and Joe next to you.
0: Nice. Okay. So, so were they all kind of, were you able to like get through a step-by-step process? Like you had to get through interview one to get to interview two, or were you just kind of told up front, look, you're going to have to interview with these five, 10 people, whatever. And, um, you know, here's the times when you're going to interview with them.
1: It was a step-by-step, so I didn't even know going into it how many interviews I was going to be doing, um, so it was, so after the first interview, it was, you know, the person be like, okay, um, well, I really enjoyed our time, you know, we're going to have to schedule a, an interview with, uh, with, you know, the next person on the list, like, you know, you made it, you know, made it past the first round, we're going to have to, we want you to talk to, you know, whoever. Next, and then after that, I had no idea though. I had absolutely no idea how many I was going to be going through until I finally reached the last interview and they said, okay, you know, um, we'll let you know our decision. You know, you've interviewed with everyone, everyone seems to really like you, but we'll let you know our decision um, fairly soon.
0: Well, I think you have a very unique experience here, and I want to flesh this out for our listeners who may be progressing through a step by step interview process. So I just want to ask, did the interviews become progressively more difficult as you went from, say, interview one, two, to three, to four? Um, were the interviews more uh, difficult? Were they more invasive? How were they any different as you moved up the line?
1: Well, I, I think it's the interviewer that 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 can really determine what the intensity is. Um, you know, you get most of the time. I would say ninety-eight percent of the time, maybe, maybe more, maybe almost hundred percent of the time. You're not going to get questions that you shouldn't know. You know what I mean? You know, no yeah. one, no one's going to ask you about no one's going to say, you know, what's the first step of XYZ in terms of like a legal question. Most of the time, especially for internships, it's really going to come down to the interview and and the questions are going to be fairly simple and straightforward questions, but but you're going to get people that maybe ask them in different ways or have a different attitude or seem disinterested. And, and that's kind of, that's, I think one of the tougher things for interviews is, is kind of just, you can't, whatever energy you get from the interviewer, you gotta, you gotta stay constant. You gotta keep your cool. You can't lose composure. You can't be flustered because if you show that I mean, you might as well, you might as well start applying to other jobs because no one ever, whether you're a transactional attorney or a litigator, wants someone that's going to get flustered easily by another per- another human being's questions.
0: Well, it's an important point you make here, Nick. The person in front of you at an interview is a human being, and you need to be yourself, am I right?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's kind of how I look at everything that I do. You know, all of us are human beings, you know, we're all equal and a a question that comes that comes from another human being's mouth should never should never you know throw you off your game. Um you know it's tough. That's not an easy that's not that is not an easy thing to to get used to. Um but that comes with practice with interviews as well and and you know I I never did um like the Career Services mock interviews. I don't know if that would have helped me or or whatever but you know, practice interview. I mean, it probably couldn't hurt, but you also have to understand that game time, the interview questions and the interviewers, you can get a wide variety. As I'm sure you know, how many different interviews have we have we had, you know, with different interviewers and, and some people in phenomenal moods, some people in horrible moods, you know, it, it, right. it's crazy, but you just have to take what comes with you what or what comes with it and you just have to you have to be able to keep a level, a level head.
0: Well, I like how you said that. That it's something you have to practice. None of us are born being great at interviewing. Some people are more relaxed around other people than other people are, but you know, at the same time, it's just like a muscle; it needs to be worked. So, why don't you talk just a minute about how you got progressively better and better at interviewing by practicing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, just to just to circle back for a second to clarify. Being comfortable and, and, and not getting thrown off your game in an interview is very, very different from appearing too confident or cocky in an interview. And you have to be able to distinguish the two. You know, at the end of the day, regardless of the interviewer, you're going to defer to them. You're going to want to defer to them because they're not going to want a person, a law student, coming into an interview acting like they already run the firm. You know, I mean, the these people – a lot of the time have spent years and years and years building something. You know, if you're talking about a, a you know, a firm spent years building something, they don't want someone that's going to come in that, you know, has never practiced law and is going to act like, oh yeah, I know as much or more than you do. So you have to be able to to strike that, that balance of not getting flustered, but also not appearing cocky and overly com- confident, which is, which is, A tough it can be tough sometimes especially if you have uh, an interviewer that's that's very uh, uh, you know forward and and very uh, aggressive but in terms of the amount of interviews I mean I have I don't even I have no idea how many interviews I've done in my life Um, but I've got I've had ones that were I've had interviews where I thought I absolutely nailed the interview, I was like, "There's no way that I'm not getting this this clerkship or this or this internship," and haven't heard any, and never heard anything back. Um, there's there's some where I was skeptical, and uh, and I've gotten job offers. I've also had absolutely horrible interviews. Um, I remember one specifically. No, I'm not going to give any names, obviously. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I walked into an interview for a firm in Florida. It was for a summer clerkship, and one of the attorneys in the firm. Um, he first off he grilled me on what everyone to name all the partners and name all the associates in the firm.
0: He asked you to name who works in the firm.
1: Yes. Everyone. Um, and we're about mm, 15 attorneys altogether. Um, which, you know, you don't really think about, (laughs) you don't really think about that going, you know, (laughs) Oh yeah. Let me memorize everyone's name. And Oh, and then he asked me what each person like to name a unique characteristic of each person. And it's like, well, you know, I, I hope to you know, get to know everyone on a, on a different, on a personal level rather than what's in, in their bios, but okay. Um, and then after that, he proceeded to ask me why the expletive um, <laughs> I was in this area of Florida when I went to a, when I went to University of South Carolina Law School. So that kind of, I, I won't lie, that kind of threw me off my game. I've never really had a, an interviewer curse at me um, in the middle of an interview, uh, but, you know, those are things that you have to watch out. I mean, those are things you have to be prepared for. And, and no one, and I don't think career services at any, <laughs> at any law school is going to prepare you to walk into an absolute storm. <laughs> no. A tornado. Um, but, but those are things to keep in mind. Is, is Those are very important questions as well, especially if your law school is in a different state, uh, perhaps in a different Area of the state than than a job you're looking at but but more if you're if you're looking at jobs in you know for me It was in Florida while I was going to school in South Carolina um, You have to you have to be able to be prepared to answer the question on why you want to be in that area because no one wants you to take a job just to gain experience for a year or two and then you know they're back on the hunt for a new for a new associate or for a new you know or yeah especially for a new associate um, for internships it's a little different um, it, if they if there's nothing past law school you know what i mean like if it's a if it's an internship where there's there's no potential to work there full-time after law school hmm. but if if it's one that you know they're looking for someone to grow with the firm as an as an intern or as a clerk and then grow into an associate, you you got to be able to you got to be able to know how to how to answer that question. You know, you got to be able to to know why extensively you want to be in that area, uh, the geographical area as well. And, and you better know stuff about their company and you better know some stuff about their law firm if it's if it's a law firm or if it's a, if it's an actual company.
0: So you pretty much have to be prepared for anything is the key takeaway there.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, you know, it's no, I would, I would say it's no different than, well, obviously it's no different than being, being an attorney, you know, sometimes, especially for what I do, you know, we run into claimants or plaintiffs on, on a side that might be very difficult to, to, um, to pose. And then, you know, It's you're always in life. You're always going to deal with people that might be seem just like you might seem way more level headed than you or might seem out of their mind, to be honest with you. So it's I You never really think like for me, I never really thought of I figured, okay, if this person's conducting an interview, I expect them to be, you know, at first I expect them to be, you know, you know, straightforward with their questions, open to listen to mine, you know, non-disruptive, non-aggressive, but (laughs) that's far from the truth, you know, because, because you're, everyone is different. And just like in life, when you're going to the the grocery store supermarket, you're going to see, you know, a hundred people that are all different. That's the same thing with interviews. So you you just got to be prepared. Um, you got to be, you got to be on guard Um, but don't, don't be too defensive as well.
0: Well, that's solid advice. So would you like to move on to maybe the 2L year? And I know you worked, uh, you worked during the school year during your second year of law school. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you got, uh, your 2L job and, um, and maybe a little bit about what you did?
1: Yeah, of course. So Again, as, um, as I mentioned before, my 1L grades were by no means phenomenal. However, um, I showed a huge interest in torts. And especially, you know, my torts grade wasn't that great. Um, but I developed a really good rapport with, with our professor. Um, and, th- and I remember going in, because like I think it was the first grade that we got one L year or one of the first grades. And I remember going into, you know, cause cause there's so much stigma around in law school about, you know, you gotta get an A, you're for, you gotta get straight A's your first, excuse me, your first semester in law school or else you're not going to be anything. Um, so I remember walking into the professor's office after I got my grade and I remember sitting down and being like, am I, is law school just not for me? You know, it, to, like I know, I know your exam is typically one of the harder—I should say—crazier one L exams. Uh, you know, is it, am, should I not be here or, or what's going on? I remember her saying, "You know, Nick." She goes, "Nick, actually, out of all the people, I think that this is definitely for you." She's like, "You know, just you know, just because you got a you know poor—not a poor, uh, poor grade—but just because you didn't get the grade you wanted doesn't mean you shouldn't be here." She said, a matter of fact, if you ever want to get into, um, PI, you know, wrongful death injury law, um, I'll definitely hook you up with an internship or I'll connect you with someone that could potentially hook you up with, with an internship, your, your 2L year. And, uh, I had to go through all the rest of 1L year, obviously not doing an internship, but then, um, 2L year, she connected me right to the, one of the most Prominent and up-and-coming plaintiffs attorneys in Columbia, South Carolina, who I can now call a, a dear friend. Um, and you know that was that was the experience. I think that was one of the more enjoyable interviews.
0: Well, you can't you can't say all of that good stuff about him without naming him and his firm. So why don't you give him a shout out really quick?
1: You know, I got. Uh, it's the law offices of Kenneth Berger and, 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 Kenny is, Kenny was probably, that was probably the most enjoyable, um, uh, e- experience in terms of interviewing and, and just office atmosphere, uh, that, that I've, that I definitely that I saw at that time, you know, it was, it, it was one of those, it was one of those interviews when you're in there and everything just feels right, you know, like like the partner and the chief operating officer and, and the paralegals and everything was just right there. Um, so that was, I don't know whether that was by chance or, or by interview or, or what it was or through the <laughs> through interviewing skills. But that was something that, you know, I remember just sitting there and, and talking to Kenny and, and we were just, it was like talking to, to a mentor, but also a friend and, there's I really don't even have I really don't even have any advice for that if you can find a if you can find a, a person that that meshes like that then you should definitely highly consider taking that job because that was that's a very very enjoyable experience and a and a very good way to learn um, when you do have that that personal connection as well with uh, with uh, someone that you work with.
0: So that was, you know, you were in a time of despair, you thought it was all over, you go and talk to the professor, she gives you uh, the contact information for Kenny Berger, you get a great job there, for how long, how long did you work there?
1: So I worked there, I want to say October of 2L year, and then I what came back to Florida that summer. To work at a different internship but then when I went back to school I worked the first half of my 3L year with Kenny as well so I was there I mean besides the summer I was there for almost a full year
0: and that all happened because you went and asked the professor, you went and talked to the professor, Hey, how can I get a, how can I get a job?
1: And, and, and that's, you know, and for me, that's, that's kind of what I can stress the most is all career services are going to be different. You know, at any school you go to the career, career service is going to be, is going to be different and, and they're going to help if you go in and, and, and ask, it'll help. But, but it's really utilize everything. Every, like this is your one shot. You know, like don't be afraid to knock on a professor's door or the dean's door and, hey, I'm really interested in this. Any chance you know someone that might know someone that might know someone whose cousin. You know what I mean? Anything like make make as many. It doesn't matter. People I've never I've okay, I shouldn't say never. I've rarely, rarely there are a few times in my life where I've gotten where I've something, I've gotten the outcome that I've wanted through a direct connection. Usually, ninety-nine percent of the time, it's an indirect connection. So it's someone that knows someone, rather than meeting someone that's like, "Yep, here you go." You know, it's it, the the second degree is usually where you hit it the best. It's usually the most frequently hit, if that makes any sense. And a lot of the times, you a lot of the times people get discouraged because how many how many times do you hear? And I'm sure Charles, you hear it too. Oh yeah. I know someone that knows, or I know someone that can maybe help you out. And then you go talk to that person and nothing comes to fruition. Well, that's people start losing focus on that indirect connection. They start, they start feeling bad. Like, ah, I know they said they know someone or they know someone that knows someone, but eh, last time I did it, no one, you know, and I found myself fall into that trap a few times, but, but, the, the key was, was, you know, persistence. And it's like, you know what, if I don't, you never know. And that's kind of the mentality that you, I, I have always had with everything is just, you never know. Like if this person's telling me that they know someone or they know someone that knows someone like, hell, I'll give it a shot. You never know. You never know what can come out of this. And I, I think that is, Wow. I think that's probably the most important the most important mindset to go in, especially when you're making connections, is you never know.
0: Right? We miss a hundred percent of the shots we don't take.
1: Right. And it sounds easy for sure. It sounds like, oh yeah, well Nick's, you know, Nick's saying things that we all know, but it but in reality when you're under that law school pressure and you're so focused on oh my gosh, exams are coming up or oh my gosh, I have, you know, this to do, I have these cases to brief, I have this coming up, I have midterms, I have you know xyz coming up you 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 sometimes push off that lunch that lunch meeting of an indirect connection or that phone call with that indirect connection or that just a simple email with that indirect connection and 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 there is no such thing as too many connections no such thing there is no such thing as talking to too many people so i think that is you know kind of maybe the best advice i probably ever given in my entire life, but the, you know, that it's the truth. It's the truth. So, so with, with, with Kenny, you can call it luck. You can call it whatever, but you know, this was a connection that I established a, almost a, well, let's say eight months prior, you know, I, I established this connection, you know, at the end of my 1L year and didn't even start interning with Kenny until my second year so so you gotta keep a rolodex keep notes in your phone keep a list like these and and make sure that you reach out and follow up and if it wasn't for you know actually saying oh wait yeah you know the professor told me to reach out to to Kenny and see if he if he needed any help or, you know, any intern or, or clerk for him, you know, I, you know, who knows, who knows what it would have come from there. And, and from Kenny came so much valuable experience and, and even more than that, a, like a lifetime, a lifelong friend. So it, that's for that job. That was awesome. I mean, that, I mean, it, all my jobs were, I had phenomenal connections with all my employers and all my jobs, but that was just something that was so unexpected, I guess, because it started out as such a negative conversation with the professor and then didn't come to fruition until eight months later or eight months plus later, you know?
0: That's right. That's right. So it was at the end of your first semester of law school after you got back that first grade, that's when you established a connection with Kenny.
1: Yes. I reached out. Um, and I said, I reached out and I said, Hey, um, you know, I got your contact info from the professor. Um, I know I obviously can't work this year, but if you guys ever need help, you know, in the upcoming school year, I'd definitely be interested. And then uh, and then we stayed in contact a little bit, and uh, and I ended up going in for an interview uh, the next year.
0: Well, as you know, I worked for Kinney in between uh, my law degree and getting my MBA, and it was a fantastic experience. Um, it was great to see an attorney businessman like him at work, and I learned so much. So why don't you talk a little bit about that uh, diversity um, in jobs? You worked at Ryder, then you worked at a plaintiff's firm. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about how that variety and diversity of experience helped you as an attorney?
1: Absolutely, and I've carried, I've definitely tried to carry uh, some of his energy as much as I can, His, his positive outlooks into into my into practicing law now so I mean that's another thing is diversity in terms of you know the jobs that you get Um, I was a big proponent of diversifying in law school I know there's some people that get a and that's great you know I at the time I was jealous of people that got jobs their 1L year and then clerked every single summer and then became associate attorneys at that firm when they graduated and passed the bar. I was, I was you know, like, I was jealous of that. I mean, not envious, but you know, I was like, Oh man, I wish I could have, but had that. But you know, I'm, I'm non-traditional <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm non-traditional in a lot of things that I do. And, and for me, I, I wanted all of the experience, you know, cause I knew that I would put so much energy into whatever job that I worked that I would gain I would know what I kind of wanted to do at the, at the end of my, my law school career. But you know, it, it's, there's something to be said. And I know Charles, you're the same way you're, you diversified as well. You, you, you kind of put yourself out there in in, in numerous positions um, and numerous things and, and just to see what you wanted to do. And, and, and a lot of the time, It's very beneficial, especially uh, because I guess I would say the majority of people are not in the position where they, you know, get that 1L summer internship. They clerk for that firm every summer. If that's not you, I recommend, I highly recommend diversifying. Hit every, hit as many areas of law as you can,
0: you know? That's actually great advice because uh, when that three years is up, so many people dig in... To a law firm or a public service job, and they're there for ten years, sometimes, and a lot of times, actually. So, getting that experience and learning what you really want to do, and and you can think that you know what you want to do, but until you actually do it, you don't really know for sure. And um, it's like you said, um, it, you can learn something from every single job.
1: Absolutely, and and uh, you know, because that's that's what that's a big a big complaint or a, a thing, something that I've heard often. Is you know people in their two or even three L year, I just don't know what type of law I want to practice, and you really don't, you know. I mean, I guess we'll get to what I do, you know, soon. But I, I never thought I was going to be doing what I did, and and I absolutely, absolutely love it. So I had no, I, I mean, until I tasted everything, I I really didn't didn't know.
0: Well, you touched on it for just a moment—that um, job you had during your two L summer. So, why don't we jump into that? Where did you work, and how did you get that job?
1: Yeah, so I worked for uh, a sole practitioner, the law offices of Catherine Soul in St. Petersburg, Florida, and that was a very unique, um, you know, hustle to get that job. Uh, again, I was at that time my 2L year, I was, you know, trying to, uh, for lack of a better term, milk, uh, career services for all I could in terms of like applying to jobs. Hey, what's open, what's open, what's open. Well, again, I'm in, you know, I'm in, I'm at university of South Carolina and I really want to go back to Florida to practice. So actually someone in career services was like, Hey, I don't know. Um, you know how how familiar you are with LinkedIn. However, uh, maybe give that a try. And at first, like I had a LinkedIn, but you know, there, uh, <laughs> so many people have LinkedIn, like link LinkedIn's, but they don't even utilize it. They just have it floating out there. Um, but I would say that that LinkedIn is one of the most underestimated tools for finding a job ever um especially for internships so so for me there are for all of us actually there is a um there's a tab you go to and it shows you everyone that you went to law school with that's in your network and everyone that you went to um, uh, undergrad with that's in your network and how i found the job with Catherine was i went to my undergrad right? Cause I went to undergrad at Flagler college in St. Augustine in Florida. So I just wanted to see who graduated from there, whether they were graduated before me or whether they graduated at, uh, or not after me, but whether they graduated before me, who, uh, who became an attorney. So I ended up running into Catherine's profile on LinkedIn and, um, just reached out. I just, you know, wrote a very nice, I guess you could call it a LinkedIn DM. (laughs) 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 But, uh, but I, I wrote a, you know, I wrote a very nice letter, uh, DM and, and I just said, Hey, I explained, I explained who I was and and that I was looking to, you know, practice in, in Florida after, after, uh, law school, um, and was interested in, in, you know, maybe interning for her. And then from there, Again, she's she's like a like a female version of, of Kenny Berger, just a phenomenal phenomenal human being, a hustler, a marketer, uh, uh, just everything. And uh, she specializes in in construction litigation and, and some you know outside corporate law and, and you know forming LLCs and corporations. She does a little bit of everything. Um, when I worked there, I did a little criminal defense with her. She's just incredible when it when it comes to the amount that she is able to do and the and her her expertise of, of a lot of practice areas of law. But that was that was something where I kind of set up a, a date and in, in time where I would be down in Florida next, and I made the drive down there and and interviewed with her, and we we hit it off um, really well, just like I did with Kenny and. Um, I had a phenomenal summer there. Um, again, it, you know, I, I've had experiences from solo practitioner to to Fortune 500 companies and, and some things in between. Um, but those are all the, the thing that is phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal about doing solo pra- or working with a solo practitioner is, is the amount of experience you get is just incredible like the amount of hearings that I went to that summer, the amount of, of, you know, motions and complaint or, uh, answers to complaints and, and things that I, things that I was seeing were, were just absolutely incredible. Um, so that's another thing to keep in the back of your mind. Um, especially if for me, I recommend that working with a, with a solo practitioner, at least for a semester, um, or, or longer during law school, because, you really get in there on everything, you know. Especially when you go to these larger firms or larger companies. I mean, you have paralegals that that do a lot of the work that you would otherwise never know how to do. Um, you know, especially when you have you know you have paralegals doing subpoenas and and correspondence to 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 you know sometimes opposing counsel, sometimes you know um, you know clients and, and such. So you get that experience um that you might not otherwise ever know how to do if you just plop right into a to a big law or or a big company
0: well there's absolutely no substitute for just getting in there getting your hands dirty and doing some of that legal work that's all theory until you get a job
1: that's correct because because even you know even well i guess we'll get into it but even now like i am so blessed because you know I'm so blessed because I have, you know, legal secretaries that, you know, mail things out and, and e-file things. And it's like, when I was working for Catherine, especially like I was learning how to e-file, I was learning how to do those tasks that, you know, down the road, if I ever, you know, want to open, open up my own practice, like I need to know how to do those before I can hire someone, you know what I mean? Before I can hire someone to do that for me. Um, so So you do gain that experience and and that, that, the, the work sometimes like that type of work seems, you know, you get a lot of, you get, you get some people that are like, oh, like I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer. Like I should never know how to do that. It's like, but yeah, you should, you know, if, if someone's doing it for you, you should know how to do it.
0: Right. That's great advice. Absolutely.
1: So there's nothing wrong with seeing how a solo practitioner works. Um, and like getting in there and learning, you know, the, the secretarial tasks or, or the administrative tasks, whatever whatever you want to call it, I, I, that's that's also experience that at least you you've done it and at least you can say you've done it because there is a lot of attorneys out there that had, you know, if their secretary or their administrative assistant or legal secretary is, is sick or out, subpoenas aren't going out, you know.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, listen, let's talk a little bit about your 3 year, and I want to talk specifically about your experience in juvenile justice. So for the listeners that don't know you, um, I can tell them uh, for certain that you've always had a passion for kids and a passion for helping kids, especially underprivileged kids, because I saw you putting in massive weeks during 3 year, which is an important year for your grades. I saw you putting in countless hours, losing lots of sleep because you were working on cases for free in the juvenile justice clinic. So why don't you talk a little bit about that experience? Um, what made you so passionate about it and uh, what all you learned from it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that, <laughs> I, I say this, I feel like I say this about all my experiences because it, it truly, I am, I am honestly so humbled and, and blessed by the experiences that I have had, you know, throughout my entire life. But the juvenile justice clinic was something that um it it changed my life. It was it was something that allowed me to realize that there is so much more to the law than Making money and oh yeah, I want to be known as the best X Y Z lawyer in the entire world. Like the juvenile justice clinic was the most humbling experience I've ever had in my entire life. And 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 what it is um, for those that that don't know, um, the clinics, especially at, at the University of South Carolina, but the juvenile justice clinic is um, we work with the public defender's office and we get um, cases. That are through well in South Carolina through through family court um, of juveniles that are um, charged with um, criminal violations, uh, con- like criminal type violations. You know, like uh, assault and battery, or you know, theft um, and and what have you. I I've always had a passion in my life to help people um in any way that I I possibly can. I mean obviously in life, you know, you do have to worry about how you're going to eat, how you're going to achieve your goals, you know, everyone should have their own goals. Um but at the same time, you know, especially for us, you know, lawyers and and people in law school that are, are going to be lawyers, you got to you got to take a step back and and realize that, you know, there is more to life than just billing hours. And and in the juvenile justice clinic, I had the honor of representing, um, multiple phenomenal kids that just got caught up in, in the wrong, in the wrong stuff. You know, um, it, it it was, (laughs) it was really, it was such a great experience. Um, you know, selfishly it was a great experience for for the practical experience that I gained because, you know, we went to court as, you know, we're certified by the Supreme Court of South Carolina to go and speak in court on behalf of our clients, as long as, you know, uh the professor is sitting somewhere in the room. Uh the professor doesn't talk for you. You go in there and you conduct your arguments and, and you do hearings. Um, and you know sometimes they go to they go to you know a trial um we didn't have to do that we uh we got really really good really good uh i was able to obtain really good plea plea deals for like phenomenal plea deals like i would never have told them to plea if it wasn't very very good um it was best case scenario on both thank god but it was uh it was something that was life changing. It's something that I recommend everyone doing, even if you are an attorney. Um, just taking, you know, the time to go do some sort of pro bono work. So whether you're an attorney or whether you're you're in law school, I can't stress enough the importance of, of just pro bono work. I mean, they we have so many things at our fingertips. You know, regardless of you know whether you're you know a transactional attorney or or a litigator you know we can we can leave the the public sector out because they're doing they're doing god's work in my opinion they're phenomenal you know on, on both sides you know generally they're they're doing really you know they're selfless in a sense um but doing pro bono work uh especially when you're in the private sector i, I think it, it's so crucial because it really does kind of bring you back to real life and reality and 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 shows you that there is so much more and there's so many people out there. There's so many people out there that need help and that otherwise are unrepresented or underrepresented, even more importantly, that that are out there, you know, getting evicted from their homes, or or there's there's children that are getting that are that aren't getting, you know, their due process in a sense when it comes to you know, because because children children are easy to take advantage of by authority, you know, authority figures. They don't know, they don't know, you know, when they, when they should talk, when they shouldn't, you know, they're easily, and I'm, you know, they're easily persuaded to, to speak even though they have a right to, you know, to be silent and and stuff like that. So I think there's such a huge importance about going out there and making and, you know, helping in any way that you can, uh, through pro bono work, uh, you know, I was, I was just, I was just blessed because I, we had a lot of really good arguments for both, for two of the clients, both of the clients that I, that I had. Um, and you know, it's something that I'm going to continue to carry on, uh, for me. I think it's, you know, as when you first get, when you first graduate and you're, you know, and you're in and you become an attorney and you're working, you know, trying to impress your boss. It's something that, goes in the back of your mind but uh, it's something that I've been I've been I'm I've been very very passionate about getting involved in and and uh and you know I, I will be I'm gonna I have a bunch of meetings lined up to to get involved with the pro bono around Orlando so I'm very excited for that but you know it, it's just something that of course, when you first get out and you start practicing, like no one's gonna ask, no one's gonna be like, "Well, you you should go now." It's like no, because you don't know what you're. You don't even know how to be a lawyer when you first get out. You need you need some time to develop your skills as an attorney before you can just go out and start, you know, re- representing pro bono or doing pro bono work on the side. Um, but anyone that's listening, do do the juvenile justice clinic. I mean, it is. It's something else, and I know there's other clinics too, and I forget which ones, and I, they're all very, very good. Um, uh, a lot of them help help people, but but the juvenile justice clinic to me was it was it's almost hard to put into words because it was just so so life changing for me, and and you get to go to these you get to go to these you know children's houses and and, and see how they live, and oftentimes. It's not going to be nearly as good as you're living, no matter how poor of a law student you are. You know, um, so I, I highly, I, I'm a huge proponent of the juvenile justice clinic. Huge proponent, love it. Would I would I wish I could, you know, do it now. I mean, I wish I could get back involved in the juvenile justice clinic, and and I'll have to do it through pro bono work in Orlando. But that was just an excellent, excellent experience.
0: I guess the last thing we have to talk about is um, what you did for your 3L summer. So traditionally, law students finish in May and they study for the bar exam, take the bar exam at the end of the summer, hopefully pass the bar exam and go on into their jobs. But I know you you continued to work uh, in addition to passing the bar exam. You were hustling, uh, working for uh, the firm you're at now. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. So there was a um, I, I applied to the job uh, after I graduated from law school and uh, I got a position uh, working as I guess a, I guess we call it a paralegal or a law clerk uh, while studying for the bar and I'll tell you what that was probably one of the harder probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life but it all came down to you know how bad do you want it And for, and for that, you know, that was really my mentality. My mentality going into like working and studying for the bar was, you know, failure is not an option. This is what you've worked for your entire life. And, and oftentimes, you know, you'll hear people get down on themselves like, "Ah, you know, if only this, if only that, if only this, but the formula is simple and it's a very, very simple formula. Step 1, ask yourself this question. Do you want it? Yes. Step 2, go get it. Like there's that's it. You know what I mean? Like there's no one holding you back from doing, you know, doing as much as you as much as you can handle. And you know, people will think people thought that I was crazy for doing for doing both of that, for doing, you know, working full time and studying for the bar exam. You know, luckily it came out to be um, you know, very a very good outcome but but again you're talking to someone that's I'm not you know the biggest bookworm in the world I'm I'm actually not a bookworm at all uh for me that came out of just hard work and and it really is all about how bad you want it um it's you can't you gotta you can't get overly confident you can't get overly cocky you have to you have to Take a step back and realize that <laughs> you're only going to get as much as you put in. And and for me, you know, I spent, you know, four months barely sleeping, um, barely eating, working, you know, studying on my lunch break, studying after work and, and studying before work. And people don't – people – don't realize that like, I'm not sitting here saying like, Oh, like I was, you know, top 10% in the class and I was able to work and and yeah, it just came easy to me. Like, no, no, no nothing in my life has ever come easy to me ever. You know, it, it that was, that was, I think the biggest example that I have in my life of just straight raw hustling because the bar exam is anyone's game. It really is like it, it's it's anyone's game if the person that studies the hardest is gonna pass you know it, it really is you know obviously you have to have some kind of mental retention but we all went through law school so you have to I'm gonna level the playing field on that and say everyone that went through law school has the ability to pass a bar exam but but for those people that you know have to work You know, while they're studying for the bar exam, like, do not be discouraged. You know, you you just you can't be discouraged. You just have to look at it. You look at it as a time. The way I looked at it was a time period. Okay, so for the next four months, my life is going to be miserable. But when this four months is over, everything else is going to be way simpler. You know, way easier. And I'm going to look back on those four months, whether it's Six months down the road, a year down the road, or ten years down the road, and say, "Look what you did." You know, if you can get through that, you can get through this, and, and it just builds character. I don't recommend people doing it. It was, it was kind of just how every, all the cards kind of fell at the time. But you know, I was legitimately billing a lot, a lot of hours as a paralegal and and studying for the bar exam and and, and the result was great but it, it it's just how bad do you want it and you can't if you think the one thing that i i can say that you can be confident overly confident and cocky about is how bad you want something you know when it comes to like thinking that you're better than anyone else or anything like that you can't you can't have that mentality but when it comes, you can be cocky about how bad you want something. You can be cocky about that because you should. Because the more passion and desire that burns in your heart and burns, you know, burns in your heart about how bad you want something, the more you're going to get it. The quicker you're going to get it. The e- Well, not the easier, but the, the quicker you're going to get it. You know, the, it, all, it all stems from the drive that you have to really want something, you know. And, and you have to think. The way I thought about it was, Okay. All I have to do is study for the bar exam and work full-time. That's all I have to do. I know people out there that study for the medical boards that are working full-time and have families and and have sick family members, and they're doing it, you know? So it's all circumstantial, and you can't really compare your circumstances to anyone, but it it really does come all down to drive and passion and how bad you want it. And, you know, when – sipping that coffee at 11:30 12 in the morning, you know, with your with your law book open trying to crush contracts or trying to crush, you know, property. And that's what it comes down to. How bad do you want
0: it? It's funny you say that because I have a sticky note on my computer monitor right here that literally says how bad do you want it so i totally understand what you're saying right now you get it you understand i get it 100 and i think that uh, i think that you've given the listeners some incredible advice on how to hustle your way into great jobs and you know the great thing about what you're talking about here is you persevered through your bar study and maintaining a full-time job and they gave you a job when you were done. Am I right? That's correct. So it was all very much worth it.
1: Yep. So I, yep. So I am currently working for the firm and, and I have, can't say that I I could be any happier. You know, it's a, it was just a perfect fit. It was a perfect fit and I felt it and I wanted it and I went after it. And if I, and I, and the what I can say is to everyone listening If I can do it, you can definitely do it because I am the most unlikely person, you know, traditionally growing up, you know, most people in my life, including family members, like, ah, no, he, you know, he's not going to do it. He'll never, he won't become a lawyer. He won't become a lawyer. He won't become a lawyer all through my life. And I really am a very unlikely candidate to be where I am, but I did it and some say some will say that I'm actually pretty damn good at what I do.
0: Well, that pretty much sums you up right there. You found out what you wanted, you went after it, you hustled. That's just you uh, in a nutshell. 100%, that's Nick Spetsis. Um, you're a passionate guy and you're a hustler and uh, I'm proud to call you my friend, man. this has been a great interview.
1: Oh man, this has been a pleasure. I love
0: it. All right, Nick. Well, this is the part of the show where I ask you to give the listeners, the future lawyers some last words of wisdom, and then we will say goodbye.
1: what I can what I can kind of drive home to everyone, um, you know, obviously number one is just be a good person in general, whether you're in your professional or personal life. but but in terms of professional life, you know, just go after it. No one's going to hand anything to you, especially in the legal field. No one is going to sit here most likely and be like, here you go. Here's the job that you've been waiting for. If, if you are, if you want something, go after it. No one's going to hand it to you. No one's going to, no one's going to patch you on the back when, when you don't get it. Just push and push and push because, because that's the way that you, you know, that's the way that you get things done. Um, and if you if you send out a hundred resumes and you don't hear back, send out a hundred more. And if you don't hear back, send out a hundred more. And if you don't get one interview, or if you don't get a job offer after one interview, keep doing them and doing them and doing them because eventually it's going to stick. So persevere and just go after what you want because <laughs> it's not going to get handed to you and. There's no one else that's better suited to get you your dream job than yourself.
0: Well, Nick, that is fantastic advice. And I guess now is that point in the show where we have to say goodbye, brother. Well, thank you,
1: sir. And and thank you for having me. It was honestly, honestly my pleasure.
0: Well, future lawyers, that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed this career-based bonus episode because I plan to do a lot more of them. As you just learned from Nick's interview, there are many things you can do to help you land your dream job. The question you have to ask yourself is this, how bad do you really want it? Remember, be good to people, give back to your community, go make your dreams come true because you're the only person who can. I'll catch you at the next show.